All right, welcome back to Lead, Travel, Pray. This is episode nine, and today we're going to talk about vulnerability. I have with me co-host Sandy Schneider. Hi there. And Michelle Strike. Hello. And this is Rebecca Ellis. So Michelle's going to take the lead today. We're trying a little bit of a different format. So here's to us being vulnerable in our podcast focused on vulnerability. Michelle, I'm going to turn it over to you. All right. Thank you. Well, welcome everybody to um, Lead, Travel, Pray. We are excited to um, try out a new format. And um, this is our episode more targeted toward faith. So um, I thought it would be helpful to talk about how I think about vulnerability so that we're all on the same page as we're thinking about this. I consider it being raw, real, and authentic. In other words, letting your guard down to let people in, even when it's hard. I think that um, this is something that requires courage from me every single time I do it. No matter how many times I've done it, it requires courage every single time because I have to be willing to let others see the real me, the good, the bad, the ugly. I'm not trying to paint myself into this perfect picture. So I think the key is to know how much vulnerability is okay and with whom, because it's not okay to be a completely vulnerable person in front of just anybody. That comes with um, trust and building of relationships over time. And so we'll kind of dig into a little bit of that as it applies to our faith. So Sandy, I'm wondering, how do you experience vulnerability in just everyday life? What does that look like? So for me, uh, top of mind right now is vulnerability in new relationships. So earlier this year uh, began a new relationship. And I think we'd all agree that being vulnerable is key to a successful, healthy, long-term relationship. But yep. what does that look like in the beginning? Um, and I, as I think back to some of those early dates, um, I remember thinking like, how, how much should I share about this? Or um, how much should I be open about how I feel about this topic? Um, Michelle, you and I have joked with uh, another single friend before um, and given her some dating advice as she went back out on some first dates. And we said, just keep it surface, right? Just keep it surface conversation. Don't dive into the deep end right away. Mm-hmm. Yep. But if you are working towards building a long-term relationship, at some point you have to dip your toe into the deep end. Um, And so that's been really top of mind for me over the past few months. What does that look like? When is the appropriate time to share authentically um, about deep topics? And um, what do you avoid in those first dates? Or what do you maybe hold back and wait for the right time? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. That was vulnerable. (laughs) And uh, Rebecca, what about you? You know, um, it's hard for me to pinpoint, I guess, how it looks like in everyday life as it feels just such like an ingrained part. Um, I'm a pretty kind of open book. I think I put myself out there a lot. And um, actually, was teasing yesterday as I was singing happy birthday as a solo in front of most of our C-suite. 
because I was late <laughs> to the birthday party and I was like, well, did you do the Chi Chi's rendition? Because that is the way we do it here. And so then I um, went ahead and did the Chi Chi's rendition. And some, a couple people joined in at the Olay, uh, which you have to know is the important uh, climax of the Chi Chi's rendition of the birthday song. But um, I joked when I sat down next to the um, our chief of engineering, I said, um, I'm working on being vulnerable. And he's like, I, I don't know that that's a hard thing for you. Uh, <laughs> and we were kind of just joking. Um, so I crashed, you know, an executive birthday party. But, you know, we've talked already about candor and um, being courageous. And I think that's just part of my brand and who I am. Um, so in work and a lot of things that I do, it's just the way I show up. And sometimes that's uncomfortable, probably as much for others as it is for me, because I do share so much about my kind of value system, my life's experiences, um, which have not always en entirely been fun. Um, and so it's hard for me, to, I guess, sh say ex um, specific examples. I think um, you know, faith in particular is a harder place, especially as a, um, a working professional, you know, how much to go, um, and how deep with, with others. And there's a couple people at work who clearly I have that kind of, um, boundary with, and then others I don't test so much. And so I think that's a, a tough one maybe for me. And then as a parent, um, you're just, you're constantly vulnerable as a parent of a teenager, um, every day is a new opportunity for <laughs> volatile, uh, vulnerable situations. And so, you know, I think ultimately, um, if you try to aspire to be authentic, that is a piece that you just have to end up owning is being out there and, vul and vulnerable in ways that um, people who maybe are more worried about impression management or looking kind of buttoned up don't go they don't, they just don't go there maybe as much. So, so Rebecca, I love the Chi Chi's example that you just gave, because <laughs> when I think about times where I might be most struggling to be vulnerable would be, um, lots of times in work situations, maybe it's, I've just taken a new job and I'm in a new environment where people don't know me yet. And I'm trying to build a positive reputation. Uh, it could be when you're called into the C-suite to, uh, report on something or because you, you need to talk about something. I am not sure that I would ever have the courage to sing the Chi Chi's birthday version, <laughs> birthday song version, um, as I walked into the, the senior leader's office. And some of our listeners might think, oh, well, you know, she must be really tight with these folks or um, she's probably worked for this company for a long time. Um, I won't comment on your relationship with the people in the room, but this is not a company you've worked with for 10, 15 years. Um, and yet you are who you are. I think you mentioned that. And that's why we love you because you are authentic <laughs> mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and smart and willing to put yourself and your thoughts out there. So I love that example. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. And if you ever would like your own personalized Chi Chi birthday song, just let me know. <laughs> I look forward to that. <laughs> well, I just had a birthday, and now I feel like I'm missing out. It's However, true. we do not have to do it right we now. We had a birthday dinner last week when I was in St. Louis right. and saw you, and I did not take the opportunity. Oh, right. Missed opportunity. Oh. This, is, a, this mm -hmm. is unfortunate. Okay. 
I had been thinking about it as a work tradition, but you're right. I should expand the horizons and bring it into friends and family. There's Love nothing it, for wrong sure. with that. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Why discriminate with the Chi Chi's birthday song? <laughs> right. <laughs> this this portion of the podcast brought to you by Chi Chi's Restaurants. If only, right? We will we will be happy to be a sponsor of your salsa. <laughs> I did learn last week that that's an age factor because they apparently don't have restaurants anymore, or at least not around here. And so everyone was like, "Oh yeah, the salsa," and I was like, "No, the restaurant." I mean, yes, salsa, but primarily restaurant. Sombrero around your head, people dancing on the right. table. But now, sadly, we're in a new era of Chi-Chi's. Hmm. But yes. Or if you're from Texas, you don't know what it is either. So there's always that. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> That's sad. <Yeah>. Sad. Sad. <laughs> Okay, so uh, going down a different path here, when we think about um, vulnerability at work, um, one example really came to mind that I feel like um, people have experienced on a pretty frequent basis. So let's just say there is um, a reorganization happening within your organization and um, you're passed up for promotion. In that moment, it is um, hard if you wanted that promotion. If you didn't, it probably feels like a relief. But let's go for example's sake to um, you really wanted the job. And now you found out that somebody else who um, you think is well qualified got it and you didn't. Um, In that moment, there is an opportunity to be vulnerable and share with at least one other person how upset and disappointed you feel. And yet at the same time, you have to think, what will they think? Will they think I'm being petty and not supporting the person who got promoted? Well, then maybe I shouldn't say anything and just put on a happy face because that's what everybody expects is that even if you don't get promoted, you should just still go out and smile and pretend like everything's fine. I think that we're pretty good at pretending in life in general, and especially when it comes to work, it seems like that's an expectation. Um, So I say, no, stop hiding, stop pushing down the feelings, stop putting the smile on if it feels totally fake. However, sometimes... In that moment, we just know, oh, this feels kind of bad, but I don't really know my feelings above and beyond that. And I, this is work. We don't do feelings at work. <laughs> so I'm just supposed to ignore all of it. And um, we just stuff it down and stuff it down and stuff it down until one day we likely have a conflict or an outburst or something, maybe with that same person that got the promotion instead of us. I don't know about you guys, but there have been times where in the heat of the moment, I react pretty um, strongly and sometimes don't understand where that emotion came from. And um, if I can follow the trail back, it's oftentimes linked to a time where um, I experienced something and I didn't feel like I should say anything. And so I stuffed it. Yep. Absolutely. And I think that this happens with highly successful people all the time. And it doesn't feel it doesn't feel good. I've coached a number of adults who don't understand their feelings, and um, when they get passed up for a promotion, they um, are more about um, saying, "Oh yeah, no, that person totally should have gotten the position. I respect them; they're great." 
All of that might be true, yet the other side is still true that you can feel sad or disappointed or mad or whatever because of that situation. Um, And sometimes they don't even know, well, what would it look like for me to express that I'm mad or sad about a a situation that happens at work, as an example. Um, So my suggestion to that person is to begin to understand physiologically what's happening, that sometimes we can pay attention to, did my pulse race? Did um, I get a dry mouth? Did my palms start sweating? There are oftentimes physical indicators that can help us, if we don't understand our emotions, begin to at least understand, I'm feeling something. And um, it might not be time for me to figure it out in that moment, but at some point in time, I could try to figure out, hey, I got... um, really sweaty palms in that situation, what happened? I don't know. Do you guys um, find that you experience some um, like physical indicators of emotion sometimes? Um, My heart will, my, the pace of my uh, heart rate will increase and I'll also feel my internal body temperature. At least it feels like it's rising. Like my cheeks will Mm -hmm. feel hot and it's like, whoa, right? These are clear indicators that, that something just pushed a button for me. And it has been fascinating for me to really um, focus on, without talking, keep your mouth shut, um, but be like, why am I reacting this way? And it's it's not always what you, like a, a textbook example says, right? Somebody made you mm-hmm. mad. That's not necessarily it. It might be that I simply have an opinion on this topic and um, this person's, I have a strong opinion and this person has a strong opinion in the other direction. Um, and suddenly I, I realize that my opinion is stronger than I thought it was because I'm having this reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's for me. I can feel my cheeks getting hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I get pretty flushed too. And that usually <laughs> means don't open your mouth, Sandy, because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's probably not going to be good. <laughs> yeah, I... I would agree. Um, I giggled a bit, Michelle, when you said um, we shouldn't have feelings at work or work's not the place for feelings. And um, I do think there's a bit of, you know, just kind of regulating our emotions and being pretty consistent. That is important. But that is what I worry about that stops some of the authenticity. And I think there's a gender difference here. And so I won't go on like my whole soapbox about it. um, Because as we've seen what's played out recently, even in media around a male's reaction, a female's reaction, how those are judged differently in terms of competence or capability. um, I do think there's a real factor there in the way that people um, do regulate their emotions, even by gender or by position or level in the organization where you feel maybe that's not as appropriate. Um, Personally, I'm all for kind of trying to wear it on the sleeve and I would rather know where a person stands in that and, and equally um, express to them where I stand. And sometimes you're putting yourself out there in order to do that. Um, You know, I've had situations where I've said, if you put me on this project, I, you know, I've been, I'm usually pretty candid with leaders about, hey, I've got some other opportunities that are knocking at the door and here's some things that are keeping me interested in staying and here's some things that would make me more likely to leave. And these types of projects or these types of interactions or this type of culture and team climate are the types of things that aren't working so well for me. And um, 
I, I feel like usually when I ha- am having those conversations, it's with leaders who um, we have a lot of mutual respect for one another and can have that level of candor and kind of vulnerability. And not that I'm putting some kind of crazy ultimatum out there, like I'm leaving tomorrow if you staff me on this crazy project. But just to say, hey, I don't think this is where I can add the most value. This doesn't seem to be the kinds of things that would be the best return on what you're making as an investment for me. And I'm not sure I can contribute as much there, or I'm I'm not sure this relationship is working out in a way that either of us would be proud of. And so um, sharing those things, I think, is important. And sometimes you do get emotional in sharing those things just because you're committed to wanting to have kind of the open dialogue and figuring that out together. And you're like, if I can't put myself out there and let you know how worried I am about this situation, which has like worry has emotion with it, like concern, Mm -hmm. disengagement, those things have emotions. And I think for me and my team, like if they're hiding that from me, then I'm not able to help address that for them. And if they're frustrated, I want to know that they're frustrated. And it, and that doesn't mean they have to wait, wait to a point where they're completely cooled off to have the conversation. Um, so anyway, my long way of saying, I, You know, I think all of that is important. I do think females have a challenge, though, related to that. And I don't know how deep we want to get into the gender divide on this, but it is more difficult. And um, we see it um, often played out, particularly in politics, around, wow, that woman seems very emotional on stage, or that woman's answer was very emotional. And it's like, guys kind of get a pass when they're that like, they're generally not that hyped up, but when they are, then we're like, oh, they're being authentic. When women are, we're like, oh, my goodness, she just needs to chill, hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so I I think that a, a lot of emotion comes from the fact that we are being vulnerable, and that is a scary feeling. And so I think it more easily brings emotions to the surface when we find ourselves in that moment, whether you're a man or a woman, in my experience. It happens to both. It just may look a little bit different um, depending upon your gender. So I think what feels vulnerable is that um, if I put myself out there, it also, though, invites somebody else into the conversation. And um, they may or may not respond in kind by being vulnerable as well. And um, that's scary. So if I put it out there and um, the other person just kind of responds more with a a neutral or kind of a a big boundary and they don't participate in the conversation, it can kind of leave you hanging Mm -hmm. or you open yourself to being negatively judged by somebody. And especially if it's somebody who we care about or respect or something like that, that that can be challenging. And I think that this is where vulnerability and faith intersects. Because I think that um, if I'm talking about my faith to somebody, whether or not I know them very well, however, especially if I know them well, I'm um, opening up my heart, I'm opening up some of my innermost thoughts and beliefs, and um, kind of a core part of who I am. And um, that requires uh, me to be willing to have a more intimate conversation with somebody if I'm talking about faith. And um, I think that that's where um, uh, we can keep other people at arm's length. And um, if I'm being really honest, keeping God at arm's length. There are times where I know something, but I'm not wanting to be vulnerable even with God. And um, that's an interesting dilemma because as a Christian, um, he understands my heart. 
And so he already knows. And so the fact that I'm still not willing sometimes to be really vulnerable and say, hey, I'm struggling with that is is hard, much less to do it with another human being. Isn't it funny how we do that? I appreciate that you shared that, Michelle. And um, I have found myself doing that too, where you think, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not ready to talk to God about this yet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Silly me, right? He's already very well aware of this. Right. He's like, but I want to talk to you about it. Exactly. (laughs) Even if you're not ready. And then it becomes uh, our our stubbornness that says, no, 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 my time, not your time. And that doesn't usually work well. Right. Yep. I agree. So I think the question for us to consider is how do we share with others when we're afraid of being judged about our faith? So there is risk in not sharing because maybe you miss a moment where somebody could develop more of an intimacy with God. Um, and, um, as again, a Christian, that's something that we're called to do is to share our, um, our faith and, um, let other people know where, um, a part of us comes from. And yet in that moment, sometimes it, um, feels like we could be really judged and it could shift the course of our interactions and, um, make that other person a little bit more uncomfortable being around us and bringing something up in the future. Um, at the same time, <clears throat> I had a, a recent experience of um, talking to somebody about um, a season of a lot of grief in my life and um, kind of how I went through it. And she was asking, you know, where where does that reaction come from? Where does that peace come from? And that was a decision point that I had in that very moment to um, make it seem about me and that I had it together or to talk about how God gave me this peace that surpassed all understanding that I was not capable of having on my own. And it actually um, opened up a great conversation between the two of us about my faith and where it comes from and that she had never heard anybody really describe um, a relationship with God in that way and that it sounded loving and not judgmental. But I have to tell you, when I said the first the first thing about the relationship and knew that I was opening up that conversation, I did feel really vulnerable in that moment and um, had all this stuff going on in my head of what are you saying? Are you really sure you want to go there? And it ended up being okay, but it does make at least me, uncomfortable sometimes. So so I'm wondering, what's an example of a time where you took a risk, either Rebecca or Sandy, by sharing what God was doing with, in your life with someone else? I too have an experience where I felt that just complete level of discomfort and in fact questioned whether or not I was crazy Uh, and it had to do with sharing an idea um, an idea about a a social service or community service idea that I had um, a fairly significant uh, undertaking and I felt like I had been praying about doing something and that God had put this uh, idea in front of me And so I had tossed it around in my head for a bit before I opened my mouth and shared the idea with a friend. And um, as I was broaching the topic with her and starting to tell this story, I had this immense feeling of, she's going to think I'm crazy. This is crazy. Maybe I am crazy. Am I crazy (laughs) to think that God is telling me to do this specific thing? Um, And it, 
I, I, because she is a friend and I have a good relationship with her, I was, I told her that I stopped myself. I don't know how many times in the conversation to say, oh my gosh, this sounds crazy. I'm, do you think I'm crazy? This really feels crazy. Um, and she was uh, a supportive friend who said, no, this isn't crazy at all. And in fact, I love what you're saying. And I, here's my thoughts on it. And here's some ideas about how you could do it differently or do it bigger or do it better. Um, and it was a fantastic dialogue where I had uh, acceptance and validation for uh, this idea that that's not my idea. I, f- I feel like this idea has come from God. Um, and I was able to share that potentially for the first time ever um, openly with her. And it um, and, and was just so wonderful to have uh, someone sit across from you with a big smile on her face and say, no, this is great. And you're not crazy. And so you would think then that I would have had the confidence to, to share that story <laughs> again. And um, the second time I shared it, with actually a friend from uh, my life group at church, so uh, another Christian woman, I had the same feelings again. Um, And that was really surprising to me how Mm -hmm. difficult it was to be vulnerable in that situation about being open about my faith and my belief and where this idea came from. Um, And Thankfully, again, this friend um, was very accepting and, and didn't think I was crazy at all and thought it was a great idea. But it was insightful for me um, to recognize as strong as my faith beliefs might be, it is still very difficult for me to be authentic um, with other people about those beliefs and to be um, vulnerable in in the world with the people around me about my beliefs my beliefs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, um, that story definitely resonates a lot with me. And I think about, you know, probably what keeps me from sharing about my religion, not necessarily my faith is this respect for, um, so many different religions. So I think about recently I had a friend on Facebook and I was like, yeah, I'll send positive energy your way. Why? Because I knew she was fairly agnostic and yet wanted some help and um, people thinking about her, but wouldn't have specifically asked for prayer. And I was like, I think that word could be even be offensive, right? And so I'll be thinking about you, good thoughts, good energy, but not using the word prayer. And, you know, when I do those things, I think like, is that the right filter? Like what? Where do I get too respectful, I guess, of others' opinions to not even want to, t- to go with mine? Um, and it varies by situation. And I think it varies by work mm-hmm. and by hobby groups mm-hmm. and by, you know, all of that. But I think the most important thing is to always be sharing, like, I'm guided by and driven by these things, whether or not I think they should influence the way you're driven or guided um, is a different thing. But it is a tough line, I think, to to walk. Um, and it back to like the radical candor, right? It, it, if it requires you to understand more deeply about a person and to know maybe, um, when it's appropriate to go there, um, in that way, more contextually around the Christian faith versus just, you know, being led by a higher spirit or being called by something, but working for global companies now for a number of years, I am always in this pattern. Of course, we all work in HR too. And so you're in this like 
um, diversity, inclusive, let's not talk about any particular God or religion or feeling. Um, I know that does uh, color the commentary even in my own head and the conversations that I have. Um, and so it's always a balance in my mind to figure out how deep and when and who with whom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I'm, I'm guessing if I'm in um, any of our listener shoes, I'm wondering, um, well, how vulnerable am I? And how do I know how good I am at doing this? And um, so I think that some of it is what we've talked about here, kind of the feeling that you have inside the emotion, the turning flesh or having um, your mouth go dry in that moment. Sometimes those are great indicators of this is vulnerable and I'm experiencing emotion. However, um, others around us um, can also give us feedback around this. So in um, a work setting, you could begin to ask people, like, how much do you feel like I share things that are disagreeable or things that you would challenge how comfortable do you feel challenging me so asking really specific questions um, asking this of people who are close to you I think is also um, it requires a lot of vulnerability for people who um, you want them to like you and agree with you friends and family this can be helpful to ask them you know what might be stopping me from reaching my full potential in life, if you know them personally at work, if you know them work-wise, these are vulnerable questions and um, can really help you see a potential blind spot, something that they might see that you might not see. Um, but I would say having asked these questions in that moment, you're like, what are they going to say? <laughs> I have no idea what it is. How bad is it going to be? And then what do I do with what they say to me? I think um, as somebody who conducts um, a lot of um, 360 degree feedback and has to provide feedback to people, some of it's really positive. Some of it is truly very, very hard to hear. Mm -hmm. I think that it requires a lot of vulnerability just to request that kind of feedback, much less to actually see it in black and white and begin to process it. Um, so I think having um, somebody, even if it's another HR professional or friend, help you process that feedback so that you don't take it overly personal can be helpful. It's easy to get stuck in like this um, uh, loop in your head feeling like, well, I kind of stink at everything rather than just taking the feedback for what it is. I also think that on the flip side, understanding our strengths is important. So um, maybe consider taking the strengths finders assessment if you don't know what those are. And um, if you are a Christian, um, there are spiritual gifts inventories online that you could also take to find out, like, what are your God-given unique gifts and um, how do you more fully use them? Um, those are areas where um, it can be hard to do it in the moment, but if God has uniquely gifted you in that way, um, he's going to make that path a little bit easier. So I'm thinking, um, so we've all had feedback personally, professionally, and um, sometimes it's really hard to hear it. And in the research they talk about, um, and this comes from neuropsychology, that in our brains we go either to fight mode or flight mode. And um, it's a defense mechanism in that moment. So flight mode is where um, we shut down and don't say a word when somebody is giving us the feedback. Fight mode, I'm arguing and defending. And um, no doubt it's easy to vacillate between these two things. Like, I want to defend myself. Don't say anything. Or I just defended myself. 
be quiet. <laughs> and um, I've been quiet for a while. Now I need to say something and let them know where I'm coming from. And it can be hard to figure out what's the best way to respond. In my experience, one of the key factors to in the moment, your job when you are hearing feedback from the person, your, your real job is to give them a reason to want to give you feedback again. It's not to agree or disagree or process the feedback in that very moment. You can do that later. Our reaction in that first few seconds gives that person a reason to have the courage to give us feedback again. Because if you don't think that it takes courage to provide feedback, you've never really provided tough feedback. It requires a lot of courage. And um, so I think about that each time. My reaction is going to determine whether or not this ever happens again. And so I need to listen, I need to respond in a very respectful way where I'm neither shutting down or trying to defend myself. And that requires kind of overcoming some of our hardwired, <laughs> what our brain wants to do in the moment. And um, going back to a previous podcast, really using some emotional intelligence of um, being aware of my emotion and then being willing to regulate it so that I'm actually listening. Okay, so I just said a whole lot, <laughs> but I think that responding to feedback is, um, is really important and goes along with um, vulnerability. And what I would say is that it's hard yet rewarding. When I've received really tough feedback, I feel like it's helped me see things that I wouldn't ordinarily see. So I'm wondering if it's so rewarding to get feedback sometimes, why do we still struggle with it? Why don't we ask for it more often? What do you ladies think? Because I don't like to hear what I view as things I'm not doing well or not doing as good as I wanted to do. Um, and my natural reaction to constructive feedback that objectively I want, but my emotional reaction is, what? I'm not perfect? Yeah. That's exactly it. You're not perfect. Um, but it make, that's, that's what um, makes me hesitant to ask for the feedback because I, I don't want to be confronted with the things that I didn't do well, the things I'm not doing well, the things I need to work on, um, even though I know that those things are critical for me to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the blinders feel pretty good for a moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. ignorance is bliss. Isn't that the uh, statement, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think, you know, in having had 360s, um, what un usually feels unfortunate about it is things that people wait to say that should have been said before, um, only because they have a veil of anonymity. And I think that it's that, like, why don't we have the trust? Why aren't we at the place where you could just say that to me? That's most frustrating. And not that it's ever been, like, completely, you know, um, terrible, but you're like, even these small things, why wait till you're asked? And, and then it starts to challenge me. And what about me has maybe been defensive or not willing to hear it? that they've waited for this tool with anonymity to give it and to give it mm -hmm. to me that way. So, um, yeah, that, I think that's the part that's challenging about it. And, um, and also sometimes people take those things to say pretty unkind things. And I've seen that happen to colleagues 
Um, just like if you think about when you get a survey, when you leave a fast food restaurant, you usually don't call in if you're like, oh, that was a decent experience. But if you felt like something has to improve here, you might blast them some crazy anonymous note. And I feel like that's where some of that goes at times. And so it's a trust aspect, I think. And then just, will I really get a balanced story or will I get those people who are on either pole, which in case does that help me on normal everyday things? Are they going to nitpick one little thing I did? And, you know, sometimes organizations have elephant memories where you just can't ever get over something that happened. And for me, like I, I want to be seen as a person who takes smart risk for a company and is willing to put themselves out there and doesn't mind being um, part of the lessons learned and kind of failing forward stories. But um, others aren't always as kind to that approach, right? They worry about what that's doing to their own brand, if they're associated with you or your functions brand. And they're just not in that same way of thinking. And so therefore they think you're, um, irresponsible or maybe trying to make a big show for something like there's maybe um, misinterpreted motives around those things. And so I guess that's the part. It's like, how do you get some of those filters off so that the feedback is uh, more balanced maybe? Michelle, I liked um, the comment that you made about working through the feedback with someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Having been in roles where I have been administering the assessments and and being the coach in feedback conversations, um, I can distinctly remember a time where I was working with a nonprofit and they asked all the board members to go through an assessment process with a consultant. It's an assessment I had been through before. It's an assessment I had uh, debriefed for others before. I didn't want to go through it um, to be a team player and I was encouraged to go through it. I did. But I was so resistant to scheduling the one-hour debrief with the consultant. I'm like, I can debrief this assessment myself. Mm. I know what it says. And when the consultant um, debriefed it, and at some point, I will never forget the word, his words, which were, if you could shift this one aspect, you would be a delightful person. And it made me, <laughs> it made me go, <laughs> wait, you're wait. telling me that I am not a delightful person right, right now. And then that led to the emotion of what, who are you? And what do you mean? I'm not a delightful person and uh, some resistance. And I probably was not overly kind to this gentleman. No, it was a one-time deal. I never had to work with him again. But what I would, what I would love for him to know is that, what I took from that feedback session was something that I thought about for a long time and came to recognize was absolutely accurate and I needed to make changes in my life. And now it's, I don't know, 10 years later and I'm still thinking about it. And had Mm -hmm. they just given me the assessment report, I would have debriefed it myself. I wouldn't have had that experience. So I think you're Mm -hmm. absolutely right. Having somebody to work through the feedback with is helpful. Yeah, great. Yeah. So, um, Sandy, I think that that is a great example. I was giving somebody um, assessment feedback a few years ago, and it, it continues to serve to today as a reminder of 
the person's reaction in the moment when they're hearing stuff about themselves is not always representative of their true takeaway from the conversation. Absolutely. This guy was pretty resistant throughout the conversation. He was kind of dismissive. He'd go back and forth between dismissive and defensiveness. And at the end of the conversation, I just felt the need to ask, okay, so what were your takeaways? Did you have one and I think I probably even said it that way because I thought this guy has just wasted an hour and a half of my time to go over all of this. And he said all of these takeaways and I just stared at him with my jaw open and he said, what? And I said, whoa, so here's my like real feedback. You need to work on your reaction to feedback, <laughs> right? <laughs> because the way yeah. that you reacted throughout the conversation and what your actual takeaways were so different, so different. And he was like, oh my gosh, that's what my wife apparently has been trying to right? tell me and I never got it <laughs> right? until I saw the expression on your face. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And um, so it has been helpful for me and why I think that I'm so passionate about helping people be mindful of their reaction in the moment. And sometimes that reaction just is not good. Mm -hmm. And um, we're caught off guard. We don't know what to do with it. And I think that the way, going back to your point, Rebecca, of, you know, you're saying this because it's anonymous feedback. Why didn't you just tell me this in a different forum? I think sometimes people don't know how open we really are to feedback. Mm -hmm. It can sometimes go back to our own reaction to receiving feedback. We find it uncomfortable. Therefore, surely Rebecca finds it uncomfortable. So I'm just not going to say anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that there's value in telling people your takeaways from something like a 360 um, survey or whether it's face-to-face feedback. Hey, thank you for sharing. Here's something that really stood out to me and what you said. And that can sometimes allow the person to realize, hey, you really do take this seriously and next time I should just tell you. So that when I do ask, maybe next time I'm going to get a slightly more candid version mm-hmm. than I did before. And that builds trust over time. So I think that there's dual ownership here is my summary of it is um, my own reaction in the moment is important. And then making sure that I'm reinforcing, hey, I really heard you. I appreciate what you said. And I'm taking it to heart. Mm-hmm. Whether or not I agree with all of it is beside the point in that moment. Yep. Um, but, but I think all of that requires some vulnerability. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, so, yeah. So I would say, you know, um, tying this back to faith in our uh, last moments here, I think that um, we provided some examples where we took a leap and said something that felt really vulnerable and the person responded positively. In my experience, that has not always been the case. Mm-hmm. I get people who have um, religion baggage And that comes up when I bring Mm -hmm. something up. They've been treated unfairly by um, someone or a church, or um, they just are um, an unbeliever in any sort of faith. And so their response in that moment is kind of indicative of that and um, can be quite argumentative. And um, so in those moments, I, um, I, I, I tell the person, look, I'm happy to have a conversation, but I'm not going to argue. I don't find that that is helpful here. Because neither one of us is then listening. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm happy to hear you out. But in turn, you have to be willing to hear me out. I'm not really sensing that that's happening. And so happy to share at another time. So so I think that in that moment, it's about um, me communicating that I can stay curious about where they're coming from. 
but they have to be willing to respond in kind. Otherwise, it truly is a pointless conversation. I might as well talk to a wall because <laughs> um, they're they're not really hearing me. So I would say that in those moments, especially if I know somebody is um, coming from a very different um, spiritual view than I am and maybe has some baggage, those are some of the things that I personally struggle with and being vulnerable and um, where I might distance myself from bringing it up, even though I might in that moment feel God nudging me, hey, say something. I'm like, "Uh, I don't know. I think it's going to end up in an argument. I just rather not say anything. So I'm wondering, um, Rebecca, where um, where do you struggle with being vulnerable and where do you kind of distance yourself from that nudge? Yeah, I think it's mostly around speaking specifically about my faith um, and you know, talking about how being a Christian has influenced my life versus just, you know, having believed in something, feeling a higher powers um, leading me um, and my family. So that's probably it for the most part. And in the workplace, even a stronger filter against that um, for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Sandy, what about you? For me, the vulnerability comes around fighting my temptation to be or be perceived as doing it well or being perfect. And the the detriment to that perspective is um, I don't always openly share my ideas. Um, I may not be authentic about where I stand on something. Um, it can definitely hold me back and create self-criticism, which certainly doesn't help me to move forward. Um, mm-hmm. So that those are sort of the, the struggles I have around vulnerability. Yeah, so I think we're all on similar pages here <laughs> as we kind of round out the discussion. But I think that there's a lot of reasons that we cited early on to keep trying and um, have the courage to be vulnerable in the moment. Um, So Rebecca, do you have any um, kind of final thoughts for us? Um, I just wanted to share with our listeners that we would appreciate any likes or comments, but specifically if you're listening through iTunes, as we don't yet have any enough to rate us um, and show up better in searches. So we would love help with that from anyone who listens here and um, comments. We read everything that people comment on Twitter, which is at lead travel pray and on our website, which is leadtravelpray.com. And uh, we're going to start a new thing here soon. If you subscribe to our site, we're going to send out some emails on a regular basis with some things that we're thinking about and want to share with you in between the monthly drops of our podcast. So please go out and subscribe there as well. And you're going to find some goodies in your inbox relatively soon from my colleagues and I. So we're excited to get that going. With that, I think we're going to close down today's episode nine on vulnerability. Thank you so much, Michelle, for being our guide in this and for Sandy for all your great contributions. And we look forward to talking with you all again next month on At Lead Travel Pray.